to the Fantasy Front Office, Episode 4, for the week of April 24th, 2017. With me in the front office this week are Keith, Phil, and Todd. Out of the box, we've got a couple news items that are probably going to rock your fantasy world. Starling Marte suspended 80 games for using an illegal substance. Guys, what do we think about this? I think it sucks for baseball and fantasy baseball. That's the best player on their team. They just moved into center field. That sucks. That's a loss of it in most leagues, third, fourth round. Yeah, even second round, maybe in, in, in certain leagues. So, yeah. yeah, it's a bummer. It's going to happen. You know, we kind of come to expect it maybe once, twice, or three times a year. There's nothing you could have done different. You know, at this point, just kind of tune in, and hopefully we can uh, give you guys some some people to pick up and help mitigate the damage. Any guys that you guys have off the top of your mind that you're somewhat excited about picking up to replace Marte? Well, just looking at the added drop list, Jason Hayward looks like he's about 38% owned. Max Kepler, about 33% owned. Corey Dickerson and maybe a little shallower leagues, about 50% owned. Right. I was looking at Dickerson and Souza. If you're going to jump in on either of them, do it ASAP. Souza was just announced as the player of the week in the AL last week, and Dickerson's been quietly producing. Luckily, I have both of them already this year. Pick them up on the sly if you can real soon. Real quick, there's two guys that I'm just curious. Everybody was pretty hot on coming into the season. Uh, Broxton and Buxton. They've been dropped in a ton of leagues. Is anybody picking those guys up? As a potential fill-in, they have a ton of upside. I was a holder until literally yesterday when my waivers went through. So I dropped Buxton yesterday. No, I am not picking him up at this point. (laughs) Personally, I'm leaving both on the waiver wire too. Yeah, it looks pretty standard across both of them. They're both sitting about 27, 28% in ESPN and about 12% of teams dropped them this week so i'm gonna pass on them really yeah but the reason i mentioned those guys they're both extremely high upside guys i think you know we're three weeks into the season i know we what we see from both of them is kind of scary especially buxton and what his strikeout rate has been the first three weeks but if you're looking for a replacement you probably don't need somebody that's gonna you know hit you 15 home runs and steal you five bases you need somebody that's gonna hit you 20 home runs and steal you 40 bases those guys have that upside so if you're looking for like just an absolute flyer i could see you know the logic behind it but for me i'm probably going with guys you know deep leagues maybe like david peralta who's off to a decent start um, you got michael conforto if the mets ever figure out and play him you know more than three days a week that's a, a guy that has a pretty big upside so those are kind of guys that uh, that i'd be targeting jared dyson's got six stolen bases for the year his batting average is not the greatest but if he gets at bats and he gets on base he's gonna steal absolutely all right well the other big story is don't ride dirt bikes <laughs> in season <laughs> Come on, Madison Baumgartner. Really? Like, now it's rumored he could be out longer than two months. The extent of his injuries is not quite known, and they haven't made that fully public. So the estimates are pushing two months or more. I'm not a doctor, but I would imagine how fast he must have been going. And I'm guessing based on the fact that he injured his shoulder and his ribs, he probably went pretty close to over the bike or at least, you know, somewhat over the bike in order to land on that pitching shoulder and his ribs and to injure them with the severity to be out six, eight, ten weeks. He was probably cooking pretty fast. So pretty gutsy or stupid, depending upon how you look at it. Uh, for a- very, very stupid. Uh- <laughs> 
as as someone who has uh, potentially flown over the handlebars of a motorcycle in the past, I can tell you it's it's pretty easy to happen. You can do it at pretty slow speeds and still hurt yourself pretty good. I would say the worst the part about it is is that Bumgarner's injury. They're talking about his shoulder and that it has. Um, I forget exactly what what they were talking about. It was either a grade one or a grade two, and they didn't specify which one it was. But the difference is massive, which is why it's kind of scary. I would try to get rid of him as quick quick as possible if you have the ability to. Yeah, he may be uh, try to trade him to somebody who's willing to stash him because this doesn't sound good. I'm betting since it was a dirt bike, he probably fell to that pitching arm side, and I'm betting that shoulder came up and it just oh I I feel the pain already and it just doesn't feel right it's just it's brutal for it's brutal for giants fans they're off to a rough season start and they lose their best player overall probably the third best pitcher in baseball for who knows for how long so they're (laughs) it's it's a rough uh rough start for the giants but how does that impact my fantasy team? That was where I was going next, because what do you do in the interim? If if you're going to stash him on the DL, who do you pick up? I've got a few names that are sort of long-term, some of them short-term, and at least in the ESPN, they're all between 45 and 65% owned. So again, if you're going to get in on them, get in on them now. Taiwan Walker's one of them. High upside. It definitely not going to put up the same numbers as Mad Bomb. Matt Schumacher, Shoemaker, Schumacher. I don't remember which way to say it. He's kind of in the same category, near identical stats so far this year. Luis Severino, another high upside, high K guy, but his ERA is pretty inflated at the moment, but he's got a low whip, so that should even out. Couple surprise guys, Jeremy Hellickson. He's got three wins so far, a 1.88 ERA and a .71 whip. Doubt he's going to stay that low, but he'll probably pitch you in the mid threes and get you by. That Phillies team is going to sneak some wins in. I got uh, I got one real quick question for you guys. So if you're a Mad Bump owner right now and you're looking kind of across the landscape and you see Robbie Ray, would you guys take Robbie Ray straight up for an uh, injured Madison Bumgarner right now? I would. I would personally. Mm-hmm. I think I'd stay away just because of the walk rate. I'm a person that's usually scared away by walk rate. I was actually looking at on the waivers on the most added list, a couple of guys. One was Chase Anderson. He's probably not going to be as much of a long-term play, but I mean, he's, he's done very well over his last several starts dating back to last year. Lance Lynn, he looks good. I don't know what else to say about him. Uh, 270 RA, 1.0 whip. He, he looks like he's back. I know he just got back from Tommy John, but you can see a couple inconsistencies. He had that four-walk game, which ended up being against Washington. That's a really good team, obviously. But he, you know, he went to Milwaukee, and he only gave up one run against them and threw six good innings. So I think 28% owned right now. He probably should be closer to 50, honestly. Keeping with the, the Arizona theme, you got Shelby Miller that left yesterday's game with Todd I think you were saying some forearm tightness is what's being reported yeah now they finally came out and said it, it is an elbow injury so that's always just, scary and tomorrow just, he's gonna go see a second opinion in LA just speculating yeah. I know we've talked about Archie Bradley several times on this podcast I think it's pretty natural for him to slot into that rotation if Shelby's out for an extended period of time he's another high upside guy that's available in 95 percent of leagues right now you probably don't need to add them until the news drops but if uh, if you have daily ad drops i mean you might as well pick him up right now and uh, see what happens because i'm guessing if he adds joins the rotation he's going to go from five percent owned to probably 
45% owned. It'll go up from there. Yeah, but Keith, I don't feel they're going to go that that route here real soon. We covered this last week, relievers that have value. I would take a flyer on Archie Bradley at this point just for the fact that he's going to get you high K rates, low ERA, low whip, hopefully, in the short term and potentially in the long term move to that starting rotation again. But as of today, I believe... Zach Godley was scratched from his minor league start, potentially lining him up for that Friday spot where Shelby Miller was going to pitch. He doesn't look like a long-term solution, but if they're going to move Bradley back to the starting rotation, they're going to need to stretch him out to an actual starting role. So it'll take a transition to get there. Yeah, good point. I mean, I don't think that, you know, he may jump right into that role, but there's nobody else the Diamondbacks have besides Archie Bradley. It's not like Zach Godley's going to make five starts. It's not like any of the other guys are going to make five starts. He's the fifth starter. It's not even really a competition. So whether it takes three days or three weeks, if Shelby Miller goes down, Bradley's the guy. All right. A couple other names that I had on this list in the short term. Um, Andrew Triggs out of Oakland. He's starting and relief eligible. He didn't allow a run until this last yesterday. I mean, he allowed three runs, just didn't have the, the feel for his cutter, but he'd be somebody in the short term to get on that train. And the other name, kind of surprising, might be Brandon McCarthy. I mean, if you're just looking for a serviceable arm, he's definitely serviceable this year. He's sitting at 2.25 ERA, 1.01 whip, and he's got three wins and 22K so far. He seems to have almost turned things around this year. He's somebody to keep on the radar if you're looking long term. It was good to see him throw seven innings on Sunday. Usually they keep him around five, maybe six innings. So for him to go seven, that's encouraging. All right. And this talk of the DL will actually transition us into our next segment here. First up, we're going to head to Todd, and he's got some DL stash or drop. The first name I have is Garrett Richards, starting pitcher from the Angels. He was on the 10-day DL, but he was just moved to the 60-day DL with a bicep, pretty much bicep strength injury that he was pulled from in his first start. He only made six starts last season, went four and two-thirds this season. Are you stashing or dropping Garrett Richards? If it's me, I'm probably dropping Garrett Richards. I think the starting pitcher pool is large enough, and there's guys like we were just talking about, like Andrew Triggs, Archie Bradley, Dylan Bundy's the world. There's all those guys that I think are available. Garrett Richards, even when healthy and good, wasn't a top 25 starting pitcher. Now that the, the health is in question, even if he comes back, is fully healthy, will he be the same pitcher he's not a guy that i'm counting on the rest of the season he's a guy that i would probably stash on this uh at this point he's a guy i actually believe in you know when he was 25 and younger he he wasn't the greatest pitcher but once that switch turned he's had under four era i mean three six is as high between that span and you know the two seasons or the one season he was hurt but i mean he's a good pitcher I, i i really do think that he could crack the outside of the top 20 maybe top 25 pitchers in the league so at that point i think i would hold on to him personally i own garrett richards in nearly every league i'm in my thing of garrett richards is i kept him in my dynasty league but i released him in my season one season league so i think long term garrett richards still has plenty of value um, but in a season-long league i don't know how long he's going to be out he's had 
lots of arm issues in the past. So that kind of, I've been kind of shying away. I actually got a similar question this week. And the reason why I think I'm dropping him is because there's other pitchers that are on the DL, like Madison Bumgarner, you know, like at this point, Shelby Miller. There's a bunch of other guys that Aaron Nola, Aaron Sanchez, they're going to force those guys to actually get dropped. Because if you own Madison Bumgarner, you have two DL slots in most leagues, you know, maybe one in some, maybe three in others, but you're probably going to have to drop guys like Richards in order to keep guys like Madison Bumgarner. Yeah. Yeah. I got a few of those questions this week. And, you know, if you own one or two guys, Richard's probably not going to get picked up. If you own, you know, John Gray and Aaron Sanchez or even guys like Happ and Odorizzi, you're, you're probably not holding on to the Richards at this point. Right, because Richards, I mean, of that group, he's the one with the most injury history, so he'd be the low man on the totem pole and probably first to be dropped. And it's been a while since we've even seen him pitch well for any extended period of time, so... I don't even know who Get Richards is at this point. That's my question. I guess in in Dynasty Leagues, yeah, you're going to hold on to him just to see what happens. But I think there's enough young pitchers out there that could be top 40 pitchers that you probably don't need to hold on to. And that's just kind of my point. Yeah. All right. Sticking with the Angels, we're going to go through pretty much their closer situation. Houston Street is currently on a 60-day DL. He's aiming for a June 1st comeback date. What he's essentially doing with a shoulder impingement is he's going through a new spring training and just beginning at the middle of April and the closer who took his spot, Cam Bedrosen, he's currently on a 10-day DL with a groin strain. Now, Sosha did say that he should not be out too much longer after the 10 days are up, but they're just playing it safe with their young closer. So, are you stashing or dropping Houston Street or Bedrosen? Again, if it's me, I'm probably dropping Houston Street. I don't see that he has a direct path back to saves. I guess if I had to guess. Or if I had to speculate, I would say they're probably going to share some time. It sounded like Sosha wasn't committing to Cambodrosian right away early in the season. He kind of want to leave it, left it open-ended. So if Street came back, he could get some saves. So I could see a scenario where they kind of split time as like a, a committee, I guess. And for that reason, I'm out on kind of both of them. I mean, I guess if you if you have to hold on to Cambodrosian, you can. But if you have other guys on the DL, I don't have a problem with, with dropping him. It also kind of just depends on your league. Like uh, Phil says, if it saves for blood leagues, then obviously you're going to have to hold on to them. But um, you're not really sure what either one of those guys are going to do right now. Yeah. The thing about Houston Street is is that last year he had a 1.925 whip, and I hear that's bad. Uh, so <laughs> he also surprisingly had a 6.45 ERA. So he's probably somebody that I would not be interested in having at this point. Bedrosian, on the other hand, dominated last year, has uh, done extremely well so far this year. I think he could be a top 10, maybe even top 5 closer. He could be the this year's Edwin Diaz coming out of nowhere. And and then putting up monster numbers, I think he would be a guy I would definitely try to hold on to. I would definitely hold on to him because looking at the rest of that bullpen street, even when he comes back June 1st, he's probably not going to slot in there. They'd want to kind of work him in against major league hitters again. And the wild card or the dark horse or whatever you want to call him, David Hernandez is back. Angels just picked him up from Atlanta and I guess he's been dominating down at AAA. So we'll see if that transitions at all maybe he found his stuff cam bedrosian this year has a fip of 0.20 i know it's only six innings but wow <laughs> that, that's yeah, that's, pretty, that's pretty impressive <laughs> 
I hear that's good also. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I read in a book and or so, something. And so she came out and said they're not too concerned about the groin strain. It's just been something that's been bothering him. So he should be back shortly after the 10-day, and they're hoping it doesn't linger throughout the season. My next name is the often injured Troy Tulowitzki. Again? <laughs> Color me surprised. Right. With Tulo, it... it's always a hamstring, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm it's serious. Every- isn't it? Isn't it always either the hamstring or the quad? Hasn't it been like over and over again? He usually alternates between the quad and the hamstring. Right. It's yeah. one or the other. Yeah. And it, with Tulo, it's more of when is he going to go down rather than if he's going to go down each year. The problem now is, yeah. is that he doesn't even produce like he used to. So back in the day when he was hitting 21 home runs and 91 games and batting 340, I'm okay with drafting him in the third round or whatever if he's going to, you know, because you're going to have a replacement guy for the others. 70 games or whatever throughout the year. Add those two numbers together. If you pick somebody hot up off the waiver wire over and over, you can have a pretty damn good season with that. Yeah, so we kind of hijacked this one from you, Todd, but (laughs) I would be dropping Tulo at this point. I would drop, drop, drop him. There is, at least if you're going to ride the hot hand in the middle infield, I would go for Taylor Motter out of Seattle. Granted, Segura's coming back, but they just dropped Leonis Martin, took him off the 25-man roster designated him for assignment just clearing an outfield spot for him so he's going to play a super utility role kind of the the jed gurko role last year kind of super utility kid's been raking so far yeah, I agree with Motter. I don't know where that kid came from, but he's, def- <laughs> he's, he's, on, he's on one of the top of the exit velocities, so he's definitely hitting the ball hard. And I, I guess I'm going to kind of sound like a broken record on Tulo because I, I guess I feel that a similar question to this about five times this year, and I'm going to say the same thing. When you have guys that are available in 50% of your leagues or more that are going to give you 18 steals and 22 home runs, Tulo doesn't have a whole lot of value in 2017. In 2014... When Tulo was going to give you 32, 33 home runs, 8 to 12 steals, and the rest of the landscape wasn't giving you more than 20 home runs, Tulo's got a ton of value, even when he played 135 to 140 games. But that's not the case anymore. I mean, you got Brandon Phillips, who I'm not necessarily a Brandon Phillips fan, but he's got five stolen bases on the season and two home runs. I'd rather have Brandon Phillips right now than, than Troy Tulowitzki. That's, and, and I, I mean, that's proof right there that stolen bases are something that you have to want to do because Brandon Phillips just is pretty much saying screw you to, <laughs> to the Reds at this point. You know, another like Cesar Hernandez, three steals, four home runs. He's available in 30% of leagues. I'd rather have Cesar Hernandez than Troy Tulowitzki. I would definitely, you could almost say straight up, I'd rather have Taylor Motter. There's a lot of players that you could look at, even if Tulo's healthy, that are better on the waiver wire than Troy Tulowitzki. Absolutely, I 100% yeah. agree with that statement. And in deeper leagues, just keep an eye out for Andrew Olden Simmons and Zach Cozart that we talked about last week. Isn't Cozart like leading most categories for shortstops right now? Yes, yeah. Uh, I'm only pointing this out because you just dropped him. Yeah. <laughs> That that was a regrettable decision, but he definitely cooled down in the last week, but not not the. <laughs> my bad, I threw you off your groove, man. <laughs> I'm just trying to find a stat to make myself not look too bad here. Yeah, he went ice cold that week. <laughs> yeah. What have you done for me lately? Is all okay? So your last name really intrigues me because the Colorado's got such an interesting situation there at mm-hmm. first base. Ian Desmond is the final name on my list. He took BP today, so he is getting closer to returning. They're hoping for the first weekend of May. But there is kind of a logjam there. Mark Reynolds is absolutely knocking the cover off the ball. And the goal when they signed Desmond was to play him at first base. But 
at bats. There's a lot of talent in the outfield and at first base. So what do you guys think of Ian Desmond? Well, I, I kind of want to publicly bash him right now so that directly <laughs> after the podcast, I can try and trade Phil for him. Um, no, I, I'm actually, I'm, I was pretty high on Desmond coming into the year. I think I'm excited about what he can do in Colorado. Obviously his season was derailed in the beginning, you know, from the, from the injury. Um, it's encouraging to see that he's hitting off of a tee or, or taking live batting practice. That probably means yeah. he's he's like two weeks away, two and a half weeks away. Yep, about two weeks. Yeah. I can't imagine after the Rockies spent as much money as they did on him that they're not going to play him every single day. Um, with that said, I also believe and own Mark Reynolds in a few leagues at this point. What he's doing seems as legit as you can say about Mark Reynolds in 2017. He became a much better contact hitter and hit for better average last season in Colorado. But he did it at the expense of a loss of power. It seems like in the early beginning of this season, he's kind of put the two together. So I'm interested in seeing what the next two and a half weeks look like until Desmond comes back. But I would imagine he still gets semi-regular bats at first base. Desmond's going to be fun to own at first base uh, for a long time, simply for for the fact that you talked about in one of the previous podcasts that you don't get stolen bases out of first baseman very often, and he's almost a lock for 2020 every year. It's something where it, it. he wants to do it. He's publicly said that in the past. So that's something where I really like am encouraged by that. The other thing is that last year in Texas, he ended up hitting 285. You know much about Texas. I mean, it's a good ballpark, but it's definitely not course field as far as to inflate average. So I, I, I feel like that he can almost replicate his numbers from last year if he comes back in a couple of weeks just because of its course field. Now, the interesting thing, what I'm hearing today is that Ian Desmond is also going to be taking reps in the outfield for the Rockies. That way they can get both bats in the lineup and they'll ride out Mark Reynolds until he quits producing, which if that's all year, then I guess he's alternating days or whatever they're going to get both and as much out of both of them as possible and it probably means that Parra is going to be the odd man out he was a a, kind of a hot free agent last year in 2016 but had a pretty disappointing season last year he's currently hitting six in the lineup but I can see easily you know him kind of riding the pine and getting Desmond in there if Reynolds kind of returns back to 2014, 15, 16 form, maybe they'll do something else. They still also have uh, Dahl. Um, I don't know how far away he is, if you guys know, but when he comes back, that's kind of an interesting thing. I think at this point, he's maybe the odd man out too. If I own him in Dynasty Leagues, which I do, you're pretty disappointed because now he's got to share reps with Para and possibly Desmond in the outfield. If Reynolds continues to hit, I mean, it's an interesting spot. Well, I'd also be looking around mid-season for a Carlos Gonzalez trade. They've been trying the last few years, not enough takers i think this may be the year that they actually part with him he's got the most upside of all their outfielders but just not living up to it at this point i think it would be easy for them to also give him a day off against lefties that's how you can get both him and uh, reynolds and um desmond into the lineup. Desmond, desmond in the lineup at the same time yeah exactly go go um, to more of a platoon kind of situation in that outfield yeah I, th- I think it would be easy for that to work out i don't think the cargo trade actually happens this year I think they're closer to competing this year than they have been in a long time. And with the two wild cards, I think that they actually give it a shot this year. Yeah, and that's the tough thing. It, the only way I could see the cargo trade working out is if by some stretch, both competing teams, you know, one needs an outfielder, one needs a, a starting, you know, starting pitcher. Right. So, But I, I, I'm looking across at the, at the landscape in the MLB. I don't see that 
right now. I mean, obviously you have the Giants need a left fielder. I think the Rangers need a left fielder, but I don't see either of those guys trading, you know, starting pitcher depth, especially the Giants right now. with, with inner, inner division? No, there's no, no it'll, it'll never happen. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I could see Cargo being traded for like a young up and coming starter, but that would mean that the Rockies are out of it, which at this point it doesn't look like they are. It's kind of a three-way race, I think, right now between the Dodgers, the Diamondbacks, and the Rockies. I think at least one of the wild card come out of that division too at this point. Yeah, I think somebody uh, somebody speculated on that uh, preseason. I think they said the Diamondbacks would win the division and the Rockies would win the wild card. <laughs> Wonder who that was. I have no idea. I don't know. You might just Google bold <laughs> predictions and see what comes up. <laughs> All right. Excellent picks, guys. On to our next segment. This is something we have talked about quite a bit, but we're going to go a little more in depth on it. We're going to tee this up with something that Yasiel Puig said this year. He said to the media, what I think about is putting the ball in the air or else I'm going to have no money in my That's pocket. Awesome. Keith, what is this? <laughs> All right, so we've been kind of talking it up or talking about the flyball revolution in our first couple episodes this season. It seems to be a, a hot-button topic in the MLB. You see launch angles being talked about on staff. Cast and all these different things. And I think what I'm starting to see is players are starting to buy into it. Obviously, you can see from Puig's quote there, if he wants to get paid, he's got to produce, which means he's got to have a better slugging percentage. He's got to hit more home runs, drive in more RBIs. And that's going to happen by putting the ball in the air versus on the ground. So I have a couple players that I think have been rumored about changing their hit philosophy to hit more fly balls. So I dug in pretty deep into the data to try and find out if their early season approach reflects what they had said preseason about changing their uh, their philosophy. But before I jump into that, I want to talk about the two guys that I think are most talked about as as far as the, the guys that kind of got this started, which is Daniel Murphy is one of them. Back in 2013, 14, 15, he wasn't hitting nearly as many home runs as he has the last few years. The other guy is Justin Turner. Both those guys have gotten pretty decent contracts the past few years. Turner, four years, $64 million this offseason. He got paid pretty good for what uh, what he he is. And the other one was uh, Murphy, three years, $37.5 million. So if you look at those guys' careers, 2013, 14, and 15, they weren't doing what they're doing right now. Murphy's probably one of the most dynamic hitters in baseball. Um, and it's because he's changed his approach in order to hit more fly balls. So I don't want to bore you guys with too much, you know, data and, and, and ratio stats here, but I will just kind of tell you the conscious change that Daniel Murphy made between 2014 and 2016. So his ground ball, the fly ball rate in 2014 was 0 0.74, 2015 0 0.76. His best year was last year, 2016, where he hit 25 home runs, and it was 0 0.60. And in this season, it's 0 0.37. So he's not hitting nearly as many ground balls as he is fly balls. And what that translates into is typically a higher batting average, a much better slug, and more home runs. Now, what partners up with this is the exit velocity as well. So what I'm going to do is I want to dig into a few guys who I think could benefit from a different approach. And if you guys can kind of jump in and say, you know, either you buy it or you don't buy it, and what you think this player's value could be based on the trends that I'm seeing. So first one that I want to talk about is, um, let's talk about Christian Yelich. Yelich is one that, that has been rumored to want to change his approach. And when I started digging into the data, what I found out is he hits way more fly, or 
ground balls than he does fly balls. His ground ball to fly ball ratio the last three years, 1.74, 1.40, and 1.44. So really not a big change as far as what his approach has been. His home run percentage this year in his four home runs and 76 at-bats is about 5%. So in looking at his numbers, you know, I've seen some articles and stuff that mention that maybe he's a fly ball guy now. I just don't see it in the data. And so I guess he's one of the guys that I don't think his approach has changed. What do you guys think? He's a guy that's hitting uh, less line drives right now than what he was in different seasons. So right now he's hitting 15% line drives. He is hitting, well, he's in about the same amount. Yeah, I don't, I don't see anything that supports that. I mean, he's a damn good hitter, but at that point, I don't, I don't think there's anything to support him trying to hit more fly balls right now. Let's just jump past him real quick. And the reason I started off with him is because I wrote down the seven or eight names that, that I've heard the most kind of chatter about. Another guy that uh, has seen some success this year compared to others is Yonder Alonso. Not a guy that you normally would think about. Three home runs this year and 48 at-bats. He has currently got a home run to fly ball rate of 14.5%, which is probably not sustainable, but uh, you know, 10 to 11 is. The difference for him is you look at Yelich, and he hasn't changed his approach one bit based on what I can see, but Alonso has. I mean, if you go back to 2015, he was in just as many ground balls as fly balls, you know, a rate of 1.01, but in his 48 at-bats this season, he's at 0.48. He's literally hit half as many ground balls as he has fly balls and that's changed his home run percentage to five and a half percent so he's slugging almost 100 points higher than he was last year because his conscious effort to put the ball in play so if Alonzo continues this is he somebody that you guys are interested in uh, in some of the deeper leagues apparently not <laughs> 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 no, no, sorry. I cut off Todd, so I was trying to let him go first. It looks like he has done exactly what you're saying. He's hitting more fly balls. He's actually striking out quite a bit more than he has in the past as well. Last year, it was about 14%. year before that, at 12%. This year, he's jumped up to 20%. Now, he's also walking at a higher rate, so maybe he's just being more selective and being more aggressive. That kind of thing happens. He's hitting less line drives as well, so that does kind of support the fact that if you're trying to hit more fly balls, you're not going to hit as many line drives, so that does 100% make sense. And and just to kind of put in reference, the data that I'm looking at, technically line drives are considered fly balls in this information, so it's kind of skewed a little bit, but definitely it's the difference between a fly ball and a ground ball. They're not putting the ball down on the ground, and they're seeing better outcomes. So, all right, let me go to a guy that I've talked about a ton this year, And probably the one that I'm most excited about on this list, it's Ryan Zimmerman. So Zimmerman's seen five home runs and 62 at-bats this year. If you go back and look at his ground ball to fly ball rate since 2014, it was 0.77, 0.95, 0.99. So he was hitting just as many fly balls to ground balls in the last two years. And then this year, all of a sudden, he starts hitting about 50%. So his ground ball to fly ball rate right now is 0.59, which is translated into a, a decent amount a power boost. If you look at his last two seasons combined, he's hit about 31 home runs and about mm, 800 at-bats. Right now, he's hit five and 62, so he's on a decent pace right now. Um, He's been picked up in a ton of leagues. I am definitely buying in. And the reason why I'm buying in on Zimmerman is he's changed it almost at a 50% clip. So he's obviously making an adjustment to what he's doing at the plate. He's getting results. And his exit velocity is towards the elite level. Last year, it was 93.3. 
three, which I think puts him at about ninth or tenth in the qualified list. One of the things that I'm most encouraged about this year is his uh, exit velocity is 91.8. So there's actually still some room to grow on that. And if he continues at his approach, I think his pace could increase even better. So I don't think we've actually seen the best of Ryan Zimmerman this year. What do you guys think? I'm buying in on it. Ryan Zimmerman's a guy who, before the season, I don't know about you guys, but personally, I kind of threw the towel in on. Just injuries have really, really affected him the past couple years, but he seems to be healthy right now. And I mean, he has a ridiculous 450 Babib right now, six homers. I'm buying Ryan Zimmerman. I think that this is a huge bounce back season that I didn't see coming. But if for some reason you're in a league that Ryan Zimmerman's not owned in, I would hurry to go pick him up right now. Yeah, you're running out of time. He's at 72% in ESPN, only going up. Exactly to Todd's point. I mean, he's a guy that has a 470 career slugging percentage, and that's including the bad couple of years where he was injured. That's, That's pretty elite production for a guy with 13 years in the league. So he's a guy that I would definitely keep an eye on and pick up as quick as possible maybe get him as a trade target something like that and this is kind of my point i guess um agreeing with what you guys said you know you were saying he's about a 470 career slugging guy daniel murphy in 2014 and 15 was about a i guess 450 let's just say 440 career slugging guy. And he doesn't have the exit velocity that Zimmerman does. His exit velocity on average is about 90-ish. So Zimmerman's got elite exit velocity. If he takes the same approach that Murphy does, it's going to translate into more home runs. So I think his slug could go from a career 470, you know, closer to, I don't know. I mean, Murphy's was 595 last year, which it sounds insane, but I, I think he could kind of replicate that. I think he could add a, a ton towards his slug. I think he's extremely valuable right now if he continues the approach. I agree, and they're teammates, so he probably bought into it watching his teammate do it. Yeah. Yep, I think so too. Just to see how, you know, obviously you guys can hear that I'm buying in on Zimmerman. It sounds like you guys are also buying in. I think coming into the season, at least I was, thinking that the landscape at first base was kind of shallow after seven or eight guys. I'm starting to think that it's a lot deeper than what we thought it was going to be. I mean, you got you got Zimmerman, who's outperforming right now. You got Eric Thames, who's, I mean, insane. You got Mark Reynolds, who's who's doing well. Desmond's coming back soon, and we expect big things. I think first base is quite a bit deeper than what we thought it was coming into the season. Oh, I agree, especially Yonder Alonso too, like you said earlier. All right, so uh, that was kind of my my poster child right there. There's a couple other guys I won't go too far into, but I'll just kind of tell you who I believe in and who I don't believe in. Uh, Mike Mustakis, Jeremy's boy, he called it, um, <laughs> is another interesting guy to look at. It looks like, based on the data, he's made an approach that looks like somewhat sustainable. He's at six home runs right now and 63 at-bats. He's not going to continue with that pace. His home run to fly ball is almost 22%, but I think he's got some room to improve as far as his exit velocity. Last year was 92.2. This year, he's only at 86. So he's hit six home runs on some subpar average exit velocity. So um, he's a guy that I think, uh, you know, could continue to hit uh, a decent amount. His home run to fly ball rate has improved against his career, and it's uh, has jumped his slug up almost 100 points. So He's a guy that I'm I'm interested in. Um, Another guy who's interesting made a comment early in the season, kind of like Puig did. Jay Bruce mentioned to uh, to some reporters that he'd be happy if he didn't hit a ground ball the entire season. <laughs> he has, but also with that, he's changed his approach like a lot of these other guys have. He's got one of the lowest ground ball to fly ball rates of all the guys that I looked up. Daniel Murphy is the only guy out of these six or seven guys that has a lower percentage of ground balls than Jay Bruce. He's got six home runs this year. His home run percentage, home run to fly ball rate, all looks sustainable. I am buying what Jay Bruce is doing right now. 
Obviously, it's not going to continue. He's not going to hit 56 home runs. But um, if there's a guy that doesn't believe he's doing it right now, he's definitely one that I do. How do you guys value those two guys, Bruce and Mustakis? Well, Bruce has a lot of protection in that lineup with Cespedes and the rest of that New York cast there protecting him. So I see him seeing a lot of good pitches, ones that he can hit and hit well. He's actually doing really well. 271 batting average. I mean, he's usually sits in like the 240 range the last couple seasons. So it's pretty decent so far. Yeah, he's also a guy that hits about 30 home runs every year, too. So if he changes his approach to hit more home runs, watch out on that. Because, I mean, if he can scrape maybe 40 home runs, that's that's pretty huge. Yeah, the, the interesting thing on him and kind of digging in and getting, you know, to kind of grade these guys against each other is he's not an elite exit velocity guy. It's at 89, and it's been at 89 for the past, you know, three seasons. So, you know, where I'm totally buying into what Zimmerman's doing at his 93.3 miles an hour exit velocity i guess i'm not buying in as much i just think the improvement for zimmerman could be massive compared to the improvement for for jay bruce but still it's something encouraging to see from from all these guys just changing their approach a little bit because i think the results will be there um the last thing that i kind of want to bring up just to kind of drive home the point i found a a little bit of a table that kind of explains the trajectory versus how far the the batted ball goes for when you combine the launch angle and the, the miles per hour off the bat so at a 30 degree launch angle the ball travels 365 feet which clears the fence at what great american ballpark all the way around (laughs) maybe now if you increase that from 90 miles an hour to 100 miles an hour that goes from 365 feet at the same 30 degree launch angle to 417 feet the difference between 90 miles an hour exit velocity and 100 miles an hour is a big difference now these players on average we're talking like 89 to 93 doesn't seem like that big of a difference but but it is it probably means you know 40 feet on each home run so it's, it's a big difference. You're talking four miles an hour, and if they're all hit at the same launch angle, you're probably talking a good 20 feet, which is the difference between warning track and home run. Exactly. And then just to kind of reiterate, at, at a zero degree launch angle at 90 miles an hour, you're hitting the ball 93 feet. So the difference between a line drive going 93 feet at a zero degree angle, which is a line drive, and then 365 feet, which is a 30 degree launch angle. It's just players seem to be buying in to getting the ball in the air. Like Puig said, he wants to get paid. Now, at at the same token, I would say that it's not necessarily a fly ball revolution with a lot of these guys, but more they're barreling up on the ball. They're hitting it square. Like, they're shooting for line drives. And it's paying off because line drives, they up your batting average. Granted, you can hit them at people and they'll be caught, you'll be out, take some hits on your batting average, but sooner or later, they fall. And when you find holes at a consistent rate, like most of these guys are doing, their their batting average is going to go up and you put the bat on the ball at the right point, you're going to hit a home run. Exactly. Yeah. Donaldson, I watched a video where Donaldson talked hitting uh, for a little bit today and, and I think some people might think that players are taking an uppercut approach, but the way that he explained it that I was listening to is it's a swing path thing. You're actually just trying to get the ideal angle wherever the bat connects with the ball. So if that means elevating your swing path with your shoulders and your hands that's what he does he actually puts you know on a high pitch he's actually going to raise his shoulders and his hands higher to still maintain like a 10 to 20 degree launch angle as opposed to swing up towards that getting a 45 degree launch angle and popping it up to the second baseman so pretty interesting to hear from you know one of the game's best to, on how he approaches getting the ideal angle on uh, on some of the higher pitches yeah 
line drives get you paid too. Absolutely. I mean, just look at uh, Giancarlo Stanton. I mean, what, he hit a 18-degree launch angle home run the other day and just mashed it. Absolutely. Aaron, Aaron Judge yeah. falls into that category too. He just hits line drives that just are crushed. That's kind of the thing with these bigger guys, these stronger guys. I mean, I watched Judge's home run the other day. It wasn't a line drive. It was <laughs> it was a monster fly ball. Granted, it went 30, 40 feet into the stands, but, I mean, had he hit that on a line drive that thing would have left the stadium so i mean take it all with a grain of salt all of this flyball revolution but it's out there and granted i'm glad guys are starting to hit a lot more line drives now if only we could up the contact rate with a lot of these guys and get away from the the mike napoli's and the swing and miss guys the chris davis guys their home run or bust it'd really help the game a lot the last thing that i'll drive home on the on the ryan zimmerman and i'll kick it over to you guys is i also looked up mark trumbull and what he did in 2016 47 home runs in a full season 613 at bats his ground ball to fly ball ratio was 0.68 at an exit velocity of 93.8 if you look at small sample size obviously what zimmerman is doing he's got a very similar ground ball the fly ball rate and he's the only one of that group that we mentioned that has a similar exit velocity over his career uh, of 93.3 so do i think ryan zimmerman's gonna hit 47 home runs no i don't do i think he could hit 30 absolutely sweet time to dig into the mailbag and our first question tonight comes from mike in st louis what's the outlook for joey gallo once beltre gets back not great he strikes out too much he has too many holes in his swing everyone knows he can bat 200. He can be Adam Dunn. I just don't think he can be Adam Dunn with uh, almost 400 on base percentage. He's all or nothing, strike out or walk, home run. That's it. The interesting thing, and I think I had maybe a similar idea of, of Gallo coming into the season, he actually does draw a decent amount of walks. I mean, he's got a 324 on base percentage this year. He's drawn nine walks and 61 at-bats. You know, the 324 is not going to kill you. He's going to get on base enough. He's got, you know, himself six home runs this year, um, so he could hit 30. I think what we're seeing out of Gallo this year is kind of what we expected to see out of Gallo all along. He is going to strike out a ton. That outfield is completely crowded. I say outfield because I'm guessing that's what his most direct path to bats would be once uh, Beltre comes back. But it's crowded. You have Profar, you have Ryan Rua, Joey Gallo. I mean, I'd like to think he gets 400 bats. I'm with you, Phil. I just, I don't think he does. All right, on to our second question. This one came in from Travis in Dallas. It was waiver wire madness last night. I'm in a points league and someone dropped Todd Frazier. Do I pick him up over Rendon or Jerko? I would definitely drop Jerko to pick up Todd Frazier. I would definitely keep Rendon over Todd Frazier. I was doing some search this morning. Rendon's one of like five or six players with over 50 at-bats this year that doesn't have a home run. I'm worried about what his... I mean, I guess I have to preface this. I've never been a Rendon guy. I don't own him in any leagues. I don't look to own him in any leagues. So it's very possible that I'm biased on Anthony Rendon. I guess I worry about what his output could be this season if he or he doesn't change his pace 
in power output. Well, the only thing is, is that, okay, so this year his walk rate is up a little bit from normal to 11% from 9.2. His BABIP is actually much lower this year, about 40 points lower than, than his career average. It's 269 versus 309. And for his career, he's a 272 hitter. I don't think that he's going to bat 215 for very much longer. I think that if you can get him now, that would be a good time. Last year and two years ago, the year in the middle sandwiched when he was hurt, I kind of throw that one out. Can't really count a hurt season against a guy. But at the same time, he did it 20 home runs the last two full years that he played. I think I would definitely like to keep him over Todd Frazier, but I would definitely get rid of Jerko because I'm from St. Louis and he's not going to be what people think he is. His home run to fly ball rate last year in the second half was ridiculous. I don't know exactly offhand what it was, but unreal. Personally, um, I would take Todd Frazier over Jerko, but I am pretty down on Todd Frazier. At this point of his career, he's kind of turned into a one-trick pony, and if the home runs aren't there, he's giving you a whole lot of nothing. I do like Rendon. I think he'll bounce back. He's been a consistent 270 guy of 20 homers when healthy for a full season. I would take Rendon, but I'm not too high on Frazier. Yeah, Jerko hit 23 home runs in the second half of the season in 70 games. That's not going to be something you should bank on, guys. His whole second half last year just seemed very fluky. I mean, he was just terrible with the Padres. I mean, that's... With, with a 222 Babbitt. Yeah, so yikes. I, I don't know how that's possible, but okay. <laughs> I don't know. He pulled it off. That's a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and on to our third and final topic of the night. Phil, you've got cold player trade targets. For the beginning of this, I'm going to talk about a couple of guys. So Manny Machado, Chris Bryant, Miggy, Joey Votto, players like that, obviously they're trade targets because they're starting slow. Throw a flyer out there, see what you can get. Try to get them for 90% of the value. At that point, you're winning that deal no matter what. Those guys are awesome. Moving on to guys that are less of it or easier to get kind of thing. Jose Peraza is a guy that he has started off this season pretty terribly just to be real. But at the same time, his BABIP this year versus last year is 246 versus 324. For a guy with speed, a 246 BABIP is extremely low. Last year, he had 21 stolen bases in 72 games, and he also had two seasons of 60 stolen bases in the minors, so he's a guy that I have been on the lookout for. What do you guys think about him? I like Peraza because... He's a guy who has a lot of flexibility of the ability, second base, shortstop, and outfield on ESPN. And he's also under third base for Yahoo. He's going to steal a lot of bases. So if he can get that bang average up a little, there's a ton of value. As a guy, you don't want to count on, but he definitely does have value on your roster if you can get him cheap right now. I think he could be a guy that you could get as a throw-in on almost any deal on a guy that has him right now. He's gonna, he's gonna Half the people are dropping him at this point. There's only seven or eight guys that I think could legitimately steal you 40-plus bases. He's definitely one of those guys. The thing I worry about with Peraza is right now he's hitting in front of Votto. It goes Hamilton, Peraza, Votto, Duvall. I think if he continues to struggle, they'll see him dropped in the lineup. You could see like Eugenio Suarez being put in the two-hole. He's off to a good start. And the other thing is you could see maybe Jesse Winker getting the call here to, to maybe share some time, maybe shuffle some guys around. But I don't see anybody really taking the second-place job from Peraza. So he's pretty safe. I mean, you have Dilson Herrera in the minors, but I don't think he's going to come up and shock the world. So he's safe. I agree. I would target him as a toss-in, and he has a ton of upside. All right. Another guy that I had as a, as a buy-low kind of guy is Jose Batista. 
I honestly, at first, when I started looking at guys like this, thought there's no way he would be part of this list, but kind of surprised me. At first glance, you see the 30% or 32% K rate for this year versus 18 for his career. That's a little alarming, but the thing that you really want to look at is his 190 BABIP, which he has a 265 for his career. So that's something that if he just adjusts back to normal at that point, probably get his average back up to the 240-250 range. And then his home run to fly ball rate is also something that's just completely out of whack right now. 4.3% versus uh, 15.1% for his career. And he's hitting more line drives this year than he has in the past. 21% versus 19 for his career. So I think he would be a guy to uh, try to target as well. I think I'm probably going to walk the fence on Bautista. I was pretty bullish on him coming into the season, returning to form. He's one of my bold prediction guys. So I want to stick with him. But to be honest, I was targeting Bautista in our main league for the first two weeks of the season. And right now I'm just kind of waiting and seeing what happens. I think the numbers that you're bringing up, Todd, I think are pointing towards a turnaround, but also I'm pretty conscious of his age, 36, possible that he sees a decline. Not all DH, you know, power hitting guys can be uh, uh, David Ortiz. So I'm going to have to wait and see on Batista, but I really hope that he turns it around because I'd like to own him in a couple spots. As of a few days ago, beyond the box score.com, uh, they did an article on what's wrong with Jose Bautista. Like, they went into the nitty gritty of where he's hitting, where he's hot, where he's cold, is he missing pitches? And they broke it down that he wasn't missing more breaking pitches or anything of that nature. And it's just, there's a contact issue with him at this point. Hopefully, he turns it around because if he turns it around, he's going to light up the scoreboard there in Toronto. But if not, he may end up getting to the point where he's just a drop candidate due to lack of value really i'm not to the drop point yet i don't think i'm going to get to the drop point till i mean if this continues for six weeks i think you have to look at it and say there's got to be somebody else available that's going to give me better production but i think three four weeks into the season i'm going to hold hold if i have them but i'm probably not targeting him just based on the last few weeks if he hits a few home runs writes the ship a little bit maybe i will look to, to buy low but at that point you're probably uh you know missed your opportunity so it's definitely a lottery ticket if if you take the lunge i'm willing (laughs) all right the next group of guys that i wanted to talk about were both starting pitchers so i figured i would kind of do a game where we pick which one we would rather go target because they're roughly the same value i would say they're all four of these guys so masahiro tanaka is going to be one pitcher been struggling lately another one uh six era as well. That's going to be Justin Verlander, these two guys. Which one would you rather have? I think I'd rather have Verlander. I think there's still a looming unknown injury risk with Tanaka. He seems to be faring well over the past 18 or 19 months, but I think I would choose Verlander if I had to on both those guys. But honestly, I'm probably looking to buy low on both. You know, like we had mentioned maybe in a show prior, this is why we don't look at preseason stats and spring stats because Tanaka was probably the most dominant pitcher overall in the spring. Right. And he got shelled in his first outing. So my worry with Tanaka is if he continues this pace, do they take a closer look at that elbow and find that maybe it's furthered and he gets shut down? Well, see, that was that was one thing that I looked at. And uh, so his actually his velocity is actually up this year compared to previous years. It's actually up back to where it was before they announced the injury. So when he first came out shooting right 
in his rookie year. He was throwing about 91 miles an hour. He's throwing that fast now. So that's something where I would look at, because last year was throwing uh, 86.6 for his fastball on average this year it's 91.1 so it's a pretty big jump so that was something that just jumped off the page for me that if he's got that giddy up behind his fastball again it's just some fluky luck that i was looking at this also for whatever reason he's throwing a sinker more often than he's ever had in the past and it's getting crushed it's got a 1326 ops off his sinker for so far this year and it's a 788 for his career. That's something where he needs to just stop throwing that pitch until he can get it under control, apparently. And if I remember correctly, that's a pitch they kind of wanted him to stop throwing around when he had first gotten injured, but he's gotten back to that pitch. I think it's one of his favorites. I could imagine that the pitching staff at this point is probably telling him, like, hey, don't do that. But, it, I mean, pitchers are, are funny, man. They'll, they'll throw a pitch they think and they believe in and continue to get rocked. So if, if you're right, he's probably continuing to throw that pitch because he has faith in it. And uh, and it's getting hit pretty hard. So I don't have any faith in it. Anyways, so Jeremy, what do you what do you think about Tanaka versus Verlander? Which one would you pick? I would lean towards Verlander at this point, but I'm also thinking the Tanaka numbers are just a little bit skewed. That first start really skewed them. I mean, he allowed seven earned runs the first start, so that's going to inflate his ERA beyond recognition. And then he came out three earned runs, three earned runs, one earned run. Yeah. I mean, he's given up six hits a game but I, right. I don't know it's it's a little inflated but I think he's kind of figured things out I would ride it out a few more weeks if I were stuck with him and see where that puts me I mean that'll put you another three four starts in maybe and you'll be able to better gauge this see the, the thing about this is is I own both of them in one keeper league and I own Kershaw in the league as well so my, my pitching staff looked extremely dominant at the beginning of the year not so much anymore. But good thing about Verlander is he's also throwing a fastball around about his career average high. On average, it's 94.6. The one thing about him this year is he's also, for whatever reason, he's getting crushed on his curveball. I guess it doesn't have as much bite this year. That's normally his best pitch, 179 batting average against. This year, it's 412 batting average against. But we didn't get Todd's thoughts on Tanaka versus Verlander. What do you think, Todd? For me, I'm taking Verlander. Obviously, his last two starts haven't been great. The six walks, a little alarming last start. But his first two were very, very strong, especially the seven innings against Boston. So Verlander over Tanaka for me. But I'm definitely, like, kind of what you guys said. I think Tanaka, I'm holding on to him for now. Definitely two or three more starts. Let him see if he can kind of right the ship a little bit more. I didn't know the velocities were up, so that's great. I would maybe even target Tanaka. If you can get him cheap, get an owner that's panicking. I still think Tanaka would turn it around, but I would take Verlander. Yeah, I think I would lean yeah. Verlander as well. The reason that I pick Verlander is mainly the strikeout rate. It's something yeah. where that that's pretty tough to get a guy that's going to strike out 200, 250 guys every year. So that's pretty much why I would target him over Tanaka. I have them pretty similar as far as in value, but that's why we kind of went that route. So the other two guys are going to be catchers. One of them is is injured and one of them is not one of them i just traded today yeah <laughs> one of them just came off the dl so did gary sanchez come off the dl today no not today but i mean like last week i think luke roy came off or was he oh. not no he wasn't hurt he just wasn't playing very well oh okay. yeah he he was he was producing about the same as he was if he were on the dl but oh, no okay. he wasn't <laughs> actually on the dl 
we kind of buried it. So the comp is going to be Luke Roy versus Gary Sanchez. Just so, just so everyone's clear. All right, go ahead, guys. Yeah. Phil and I actually made a trade uh, this morning. I acquired Jonathan Luke Roy. For me, I took a chance at buying a low on him. I mean, he's a guy who's just been consistently great at the catcher position, but he struggled this year so far. I think he'll bounce back. I think he can bounce back to a top five catcher level. So I took a shot. I do like Gary Sanchez more, though, I will say. He's coming off the DL, and that that's something that that might take a while, especially once it comes off the DL to get back in the swing of things. Rest of the season value, I would take Sanchez, but I think both of them are going to be top five, top six catchers when it's all said and done. Yeah, I definitely agree with Todd. Um, I, I guess if I had to choose, I'm going to go Lucroy. He's done it for longer. He's been more consistent. Like we're seeing, Phil called it with Trey Turner. I guess he's got a much smaller sample size than most guys, but in 28 at-bats, he's not doing that uh, great this year. I think Gary Sanchez could have a similar outcome with the pitchers getting a, a nice clean look at him. I don't see that he has as many home runs as he did last year, which doesn't surprise anybody, but I didn't draft a lot of these guys necessarily because I don't pay for catchers, but now that their value has dropped, I would look to target either one of these guys uh, because you can get them at a, a much discounted price. And I think to, to a degree, I believe in both of them, but if I had to choose, I'm probably going Luke Roy. Jeremy, what do you think? Well, I'm sitting and holding tight on Sanchez. He's probably about three weeks away from being, I guess, 100%. He's barely started taking soft toss and hitting off a tee. His injury is a little different. It's a bicep on his throwing arm. His big hurdle is going to be throwing again. So I'm holding on to him. I'm going to keep him stashed away on a DL spot until he's available. Lucroy, I would hope that he turns it around wouldn't take much to jump into a top five catcher position really i mean the position isn't that deep honestly i think preseason he was he was one of the consensus let's say three best catchers in in the league along with you know maybe gary sanchez depending on what league you're in some yahoo leagues had schwarber still as a catcher for whatever reason played zero innings there but he gets catcher eligibility no big deal anyways (laughs) luke roy has a 182 babbitt versus a 309 for his career his K rate actually is 7.7 this year versus 14.9. Walk rate has gone down a little bit and his line drive rate went down quite a bit. So he's another curious case that he's got a couple of things working in his favor and a couple of things kind of going against him. I do think that you know his track record kind of shows you that he is a hitter that you're going to want. That's why I would pick him over Gary Sanchez. Again, they were guys that, as Keith was saying, you know, I, I didn't necessarily target on draft day, but when things like this happen, you know, you can get guys on the cheap. You don't have to worry about drafting them at full price at that point. So Gary Sanchez is a guy that, you know, he could give you 15, 18 home runs the rest of the season. I know everyone's looking at that 20 in however many games, but I just don't think that that's as realistic as people were thinking preseason. At this point, you know, you might have an owner that's panicking and needs a starting pitcher and already picked up leaders <laughs> off of the, uh, the waiver wire and just is sitting there with a catcher on the DL. What are they doing with him at this point versus if they're going for it, you know, they need a starting pitcher or something like that. So I would try to make that target on either of those catchers because they are going to end up towards the elite at the end of the season. And I think that does it for my guys as well. Awesome. Well, as we sign off today, what do you have cooking this week, guys? I got some pot roast cooking tomorrow. It's going to be great. Uh, I put a little bit of potatoes in there. You got to do the canned potatoes, though, because cutting them and you know doing all that stuff is too much work. But other than that, I, I'm not really good at cooking. So the, the biggest thing that I want to kind of promote this week is, you know, this is our, our fourth episode that hopefully will come out here here shortly 
If you guys can do us a big favor, go on iTunes, rate and review the podcast. We've gotten a bunch of really good feedback, and we really appreciate it. So thanks for the support. And remember, all of our future articles can be seen at the Line Score on Twitter. This week, we'll be having plenty of NFL draft coverage, if you're interested in that. But we will have full load of MLB information for the rest of the season. All right. And not only can you find us on iTunes, but find us pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. If you do leave us a review on any of the others, please take a screenshot of it and tweet us at FanFrontOffice. That way we can see those. And you know what? We may get into reading some of these reviews here on the show. I think that's a great idea. So thank you all for listening. Thank you, the one with your headphones in. And thank you who's got us tuned in on your drive to or from work. And catch us on the next show. 